Hello and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Brown, and thanks for joining me as we continue to explore the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and using sound for health and wellness. Today my guest is Stephen Halpern. Stephen is a Grammy Award-nominated, multi-platinum-selling recording artist, composer, producer, researcher, author, and pioneering sound healer. This podcast episode is sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. The Ohm Shop offers the country's largest showroom of quartz crystal singing bowls, sound healing instruments, and vibrational medicine tools. If you're ever in Sarasota, Florida, do stop by and visit them or enjoy a treatment such as sound healing, energy work, massage, vibroacoustics, or hypnotherapy. You can also visit them online at theomshop.com. That's O-M-S-H-O-P-P-E. They pride themselves in taking care of their clients and customers, offering guidance and consultations. And this has been truly apparent to me. I've taught sound healing classes there. And the venue, the staff, is so appreciated by myself and the participants in the class who love the atmosphere and environment that's offered. And I love it so much that I have several more classes I'll be teaching there this year and into 2021. So thanks to Beth, to Nancy, and all the staff at the Ohm Shop for their support and for being true friends of the podcast and leaders in the sound and vibrational medicine field. In the podcast with Stephen Halpern, he talks about how music and sound influenced his childhood, his background in jazz spiritual shifts and inspirations in his early years and how that lent itself to developing a new kind of music. He is often called the first and definitive new age keyboardist and father of sound healing. We discuss how that progressed and what that means to him. We also get into his research, both past and present, scientifically validating the effects of music on listeners. Much of his early research investigated the connection between sound, consciousness, and healing using brainwave biofeedback and aura photography. And also we explore the current state of the sound healing field. Please enjoy this podcast with Stephen Halpern. Okay, well let's uh, start at the beginning. All right. Let's kind of, you know, how did music come into your life? How did your musical journey start? I've always been very sensitive to sound. And from what my parents told me, even as a uh, kind of a toddler crawling down the hallway of the apartment building we were living in, in a suburb of New York City called Flushing, a, a name mm-hmm. that many people don't believe, I, mm-hmm. I was crawling down because uh, a neighbor couple doors down had music playing in their house probably from a a record player at that point and my parents never played music in the house the radio was always tuned to news all news all the time but i discovered early on that um, uh, particularly when the school offered trumpet lessons and band instrument lessons that it was a natural for me, and I got into it, and I started getting good very quickly, playing with uh, people who were older than me. And the first day of, uh, for me, uh, junior high school uh, was instructive, because there we start meeting kids from around uh, the larger area. And then the first day of high school, I heard people playing music without reading notes. And a light went on in my head, and I said, how do you do that? What is that called? It's called improvisation. It's part of jazz. I said, well, I have to learn that language. It's like uh, part of my cellular memory was opening up, and I said, this is for me. And that became a sideline of my academic uh, pursuits. I thought when I was going off to college I might wind up being a – professor of sociology or originally even a dentist until I found out that uh, that was not at all suitable for me and me 
it. But music was my way to bliss. I could get into altered states of consciousness naturally. And pursuing the muse in terms of jazz improvisation, when I got to college, I uh, connected with the uh, leading jazz musicians in the area at college and in Buffalo and had an experience where the music began to play me. As a trumpet player, you have to set your embouchure, you have to really learn all the scales and all the, the rules. And at one point during my first solo in that high energy context, the music started playing through me without me thinking about it. The trumpet was effortless and I knew that this was a whole other world. There wasn't the left brain thinking uh, intellectual exercises that play with scales. It was just becoming the music. So that's how I got into it. But again, uh, there was it, it was a healing experience for those of us who were playing it and for some of the people who were listening. But it was not necessarily beautiful, and it was high intensity. And uh, it was more a an artistic pursuit than something that was really going to be of service to uh, humanity and to my fellow men and women. But I was reading, and also at that point I was turned on to uh, books and theories by uh, uh, Gurdjieff, Ospensky, the uh, yoga tradition about the healing powers of sound, and uh, through Edgar Cayce, to the ancient uses of the healing powers of sound in Egypt and in Greece, etc. And lights went on in my head, and I said, that is what I need to know about. I didn't know at that point, because I never had a past life reading, that the reason the lights went on in my head is I was recognizing situations that I had been in in previous lifetimes. But that's, that's what intellectually got me aligned with studying the healing powers of music. And I was prepared to do a graduate program at the University of Buffalo doing a cross-cultural study of healing uh, traditions in music from around the world, uh, except that I took a, a brief two-week vacation uh, to California, and some magical things happened. I never went back to Buffalo, dropped uh, my graduate program, and lived the experience because uh, in that time period, I experienced a very deep meditation underneath some amazing redwood trees, and started hearing this new music that I've been playing, and I received kind of that thought form and vision and words inside my head to say, this is the music that you've been praying to learn about. Your job is to bring it out to the rest of the world so they could hear it too. Mm. And now this was November 1969. I had no money. I had no idea didn't even have a piano of any kind. I was still a, basically a trumpet player and guitar player. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what that really meant or would entail. So I filed it away. And within a very short period of time, some amazing synchronicities started happening and put me on the road to studying and playing and then going public with the music and then going on tour around the country many, many times. Uh, and that's, that's how I got into it. Because the people who heard the music said, wow, this is fantastic. I've always been looking for music like this. This is what I need when I'm doing yoga. This is what I need mm -hmm. to help me meditate. And guess what? I needed it also. So it was excellent for me as well as for the other people. Mm -hmm. Just to um, look at a couple of things that you, you mentioned there, do you think that the structure and, of course, all that technique that you had to learn for jazz, but, of course, in jazz you also have to have the ability to let go and just go with the flow. Do you think that really lent yourself to be able to then shift into this this new type of music making? Absolutely, for two, uh, for at least two reasons. Number one, it opened me up to the reality that it's not all about me and my my mind and my my brilliant brain and how I could memorize scales and learn all the rules. But it was that there was a whole other tradition that goes back to the Greeks and uh, other early civilizations of tapping into and connecting with one's muse, that uh, we receive art and can be inspired from higher dimensions. There's a whole other, you know, it's in a whole other uh, interview about where the music comes from. But what I also learned through jazz and through that 
intense for uh, several summers, eight hours a day practicing, that my physical fingers, lips, and uh, as trumpet player and um, uh, as a musician were, were activated, so I developed a cellular memory of what is called going on automatic, mm -hmm. uh, kind of like playing uh, on automatic, where the energy flows through and uses you. You become the vehicle, you become the instrument of the instrument, and the piano would play me, the trumpet would play me, the guitar would play me. But the easiest one to play in a meditative state was uh, with a, was a piano, which at, until that time, I never really had access to one on a, on a daily basis, except the first place that I wound up working had a piano. And after I finished my chores, they said, sure, you want to practice for four hours? Go ahead, sit at the piano. And I would go into meditation and play for four hours. And that, that essentially got my nervous system tuned in to play this more subtle kind of music. Mm -hmm. And how was it received initially? I, th I can't remember if it was in the book Sound Health or where I read this, that um, initially you were just really trying to sell and perform, you know, this music and wherever it would be received, that initially um, the record companies were just saying, well, give it a try, but we might not support it. Well, Almost, but uh, mm. it, it was more than that. The very first, uh, in fact, it was an hour after I started hearing the music in my head in meditation that I found myself at a piano. This was at a uh, human potential retreat center, and there was no one in the room when I went there um, to have a meeting with the staff. Long story, but we'll get into maybe some other time. But I sat down at the piano, went into the zone, and about 10 minutes later, I heard some people, some noise rustling, and I opened my eyes, and there's 10 people on the staff, all in meditation or doing yoga or lying down. And one of them said, this music is fantastic. How did you learn to play like that? Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't know what they were talking about because I didn't hear it in the state that I was in when I was playing. So the first people who heard it loved it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then because this was a... Uh, human potential, the early days of New Age was the human potential movement, most of those people loved it. But that was a self-selective audience. Mm -hmm. When I started taking it out into the world, both uh, going to uh, some major record companies and to the media, to radio and TV and newspapers, they said, this is major, woo-woo. Uh, where's the melody? Where's the beat? Where's the harmonic structure that all music has to have? I said, wait a minute, not all music. Indian music doesn't have it. African music doesn't have it. All Western classical-based music has the structure, and it's precisely that structure that keeps you locked into the left brain, locked into the future projection of where the music is going, and uh, not in the here and now. Now we call this mindful music. We didn't have that term back in 1970. So the reaction was very, very... Uh, split. There were, you know, a smaller audience that loved it, and those people said, "What is this? You know, it doesn't. There's no melody. There's no, you know, we can't predict where it's going." My my <laughs> my uh, uh, professors in grad school, when I did go back to grad school, says, "We don't know if we could even give you a grade on this because it's so beautiful. We can't stay in our critical mindset that we need to grade you on." Sure. So <laughs> I, I I said, "Well, just give me an A." You know, mm -hmm. make, make it simple on both of us. And ultimately they did. And um, But I had to teach them all about this so, because no one no one knew this field. I knew more than any of the professors that I was dealing with. And when I started going out to the media, when I started going around the country doing programs, concerts and workshops at Unity Churches and Science of Mind Churches and yoga groups and New Age expos, uh, I knew more than anyone who was interviewing me. Some people thought they knew more, but they were all locked in and coming from the classical music perspective, mm -hmm. which is very idiosyncratic and limited to the left brain uh, dominant kind of music. And this was before world music was popular. So uh, the fact that I was able to uh, answer their arguments and demonstrate things I basically started getting a reputation. I could take on the toughest interview uh, hosts on, on radio and TV and win the arguments. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and that's part of what I did. 
and, and prove to them that it's not just about you know the structure we're looking at it's not the notes but the energy that comes through we're looking at how do you feel because the other part when i first came out we're talking about meditation and this was before meditation or yoga were, were mainstream concepts uh the research i had done was using biofeedback to measure the effects on the aura on the human biofield we measured brain waves we measured the gsr the galvanic skin response well, most people in the media didn't know what that was, and most people in the audiences didn't know what that was. I mean, I had media people ask me, what is a brainwave? Do I have one? <laughs> and, you know, there was real hard not to laugh and said, well, you know, I'm not so sure about you then. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you realize that no one was getting any education about these concepts. So not only was I describing a, a new form of music that actually, in a sense, was very ancient form of music, because the most ancient uses of music were for healing and, of course, for the military, but healing and ritual were, were the, the original uses of music, and that was part of what I studied with my teachers in Buffalo. So this is very familiar to me. And uh, it, it was something that had been lost for hundreds of years, and part of my job was to bring it back, and that's that's what I've been involved in. Uh, so uh, it, it was it was a mixed bag, but at a certain point, the fact that people would hear the music and have an experience, then it didn't matter what I said about it; they knew that they felt better, they felt more like themselves. Uh, people started writing me when I started putting out uh, vinyl LPs and cassettes. I slept better than I ever have. I am more relaxed than I've ever been in my life. And then it's stories about personal healings that, that, that they experienced. Well, you know, this was not a matter of hype because I didn't necessarily tell them this would happen. I found out that would made things easier. I just put it out there and people had the experience that it would tell me what they were experiencing. And that then started its own momentum. I took the music to stores, and they said, you know, we're a bookstore. We don't sell music. And then someone would come in and say, as, as I was talking to the uh, manager and the buyer, ooh, music for meditation. I've been looking for that. And a little old lady took it right out of my hand and said, can I buy this? And the <laughs> store manager said, well, I guess we better take a dozen because <laughs> there's obviously a market. And that's how I became the first musician to sell music, to sell healing music and meditation music in the New Age bookstores mm -hmm. and opened up the whole alternative market to New Age music that had never existed before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and who doesn't need relaxation? Exactly. And, and, and these are truck drivers mm -hmm. as well as teachers, as well as doctors and nurses, as well as, you know, who doesn't? And that's mm -hmm. the point. And, that, and that's where uh, my advisors say, well, you know, maybe... Don't talk that much about the spiritual benefits of it right now. Don't even talk that much about the science. Focus on stress. In 1973, 74, 75, stress was basically just being introduced as a concept to the American audience. Dr. Herbert Benson, the relaxation response, mm -hmm. Dr. Hans Selye, and I wound up being invited to uh, perform and present my material at conferences where they were the keynote speakers so they were some of my early uh, fan base. And when you have the leaders in the field saying, what you're doing is very important, continue doing this, uh, you know you're onto something. And that's why a lot of what I put out in the world was uh, contextualized in terms of stress and relaxation, where we found out how important that is. If you get that handled, a lot of other things happen automatically that tie into meditation and brain balancing music, etc. But the first step is the first step, and uh, and that's that's what I've been uh, you know working with for the last 45 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what's beautiful it ties back to what you said earlier is, you know, as um, a musician, personally, I'm classically trained violinist, originally at least, and you know it, how wonderful to be able to analyze music or for people to analyze poetry. But the real question is, how does it make you feel? You know, yes. How, exactly. how does it make? Okay, who you know, who really cares what the the author meant at the time? We can't really know. How does it? How does it make you feel? You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you know the the fact that music 
even even when I was in school, which was you know right in the fifties and uh, up until nineteen sixty five when I got out of high school, the music program we had band, we had orchestra, and if you played an instrument, you had to be there. Uh, you had to you know be a member, and I I was successfully able to be the first person to get kicked out of marching band because mm-hmm. I hated it. Mm-hmm. It was bad for the trumpet embouchure, but uh, I I never learned anything about classical music. Uh, even in the band, they never played the entire what the song or the symphony should sound like. I just knew the trumpet part because that's all mm-hmm. we could hear. So I had, you know, we talk about music appreciation. I got to tell you, pretty much that was not, I didn't get any of that, you know, pretty much. Uh, that all happened in high school when I started getting into jazz and in college where I started playing with uh, professional musicians on a really high level. But I also, in high school, got into R&B, and I was the best R&B guitar player in high school, which also saved my life from getting beat up a couple times because one of the uh, the tough guys was also a guitar player. And it's like, Johnny, if you break my fingers, I can't show you these new runs I've learned. Mm. So, uh, you know, leave him alone, boys. He's, he's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Truly, music was a healing uh, resource for me on another level early on. But as as we go on, uh, and I had a chance in my research to work with Dr. Uh, with Itzhak Bentoff, who mm-hmm. invented uh, some amazing machines that we could actually measure the aura. We could measure uh, the resonance of chakras in the body in with machinery that no one else had. So when it was time to put out my first album. Rather than just putting out new music for meditation, which was part of what I was going to do, so we could put it in a context that balances the chakras because we know how important that is. And what I got back from the stores is people don't know what a chakra is in 1975. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to us about chakras. Call it something else. And that's why it became Spectrum Suite, relating to the electromagnetic spectrum, the relationship of sound to colors to chakras. And that was the uh, the context within which I worked for uh, 20 years or so until yoga was mainstream. People knew what chakras were. I changed the cover, changed the title with the same basic music, and sales went up 500% because people now knew that it was important to balance the chakras. Mm-hmm. Shirley MacLaine had been doing her uh, tour in 1987. Uh, I had a wonderful dinner and uh, interview with her, and she came out of that saying, balancing the chakras is the most important technique. If I only had one meditation technique, it would be to balance the chakras. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, under, I, I knew at that point that I was definitely onto the right path, mm-hmm. and that first album as, as, as you know, has been the one that's gone around the world uh, in, in countries that I've never been to, that we don't speak the language, but music is a universal language. And everybody's chakras can be tuned up when you resonate and activate them with the appropriate frequencies. And that's what's built into that album. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's still the number one selling album in the, in the history of New Age music, mm-hmm. of, of real healing New Age music. There's Yanni, there's John Tesh, people who are called New Age, mm-hmm. who themselves said, don't call us New Age, we're not New Age. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I agree with them. They're not. But in terms of true New Age music, uh, a couple of my other albums, like Deep Alpha and Deep Theta, were some of the only ones that ever made it onto the Billboard charts. Mm-hmm. The Billboard New Age charts surprised everybody, including me. But enough people were going to Borders and Tower Records back in the uh, early 2000s that uh, the sales charts were reflecting that. And uh, it upset a lot of, lot of mainstream people and some of the other record labels, but uh, you know, people voted with their, with their pocketbook and said, we need this, we want this music, where can we get it? Mm-hmm. I'm curious, uh, you know, through your... your research that led to uh, your compositions that explore the connection between sound, consciousness, um, brainwave states. What were the early implications that you came to understand uh, through that research? How, what did that look like? Well, the research was, was more in terms of uh, confirming or actually testing the hypothesis that this kind of music, the original music that I was composing, was more uh, 
healing or would assist the listener, the body, mind, and spirit of the listener to coming to a greater state of harmony and balance. And we can show that through the relaxation response, through uh, the uh, change of the electrical conductivity on the surface of the skin. Uh, we work with uh, we, uh, Cleve Baxter, who did the great research on the secret life of plants and mm -hmm. plant communications that plants could pick up on the uptightness or the relaxation state of the individual in the room who was hearing the music. We also played the music for plants, and they very definitely liked my music more than uh, Beethoven. Mm -hmm. uh, but th uh, th there was no research to, uh, to, to read about because no one had done music uh, and uh, no one had researched the healing powers of music relative to balancing the brain waves, balancing the chakras. I was the first one to uh, to deal with that. So that put me in, into a very unique position. But then I could use the affiliated scientific breakthroughs in uh, biofeedback measurement, brain measurement, and curly in photography, mm -hmm. photographing the human biofield, the energy field, that uh, I got to tell you, men, most of the media people that I went to said, aura, you know, biofield, what are you talking about? Our audience doesn't want to know about that. Let's talk about stress. We understand mm -hmm. about stress. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what it was. And, and then years later, when I, I would start writing about this on the back of my albums, I actually had stores and distributors say, don't talk to us. Don't write about the science behind it. People just want to hear the music. Um, don't confuse us with the facts. <laughs> it was almost like, like what it was. So I kind of pulled back from that for a while and talked about uh, more generic things. But more recently, the research aspect about the healing powers of music uh, have been more uh, of, of interest. In fact, the uh, NIH, the National Institute of Health, just announced a $20 million study over uh, five years to study sound health. Mm -hmm. Well, I wrote the book published by Harper Row called Sound Health. I've been talking about this for 45 years, but at a certain point you find out that there's, a, like everything else, there's a political establishment that only certain people will be uh, able to get uh, publicity in the field. When uh, I wrote to Time Magazine in 1985 when they were saying some great stuff that the Music Therapy Association had, had uh, pitched to them, and to talk about Mozart is the best music for relaxation, the research that I did proved that it was not. Uh, that the very basis of classical music built in, as, as you will remember from your studies probably, the whole concept of tension and release. Well, as a type A uh, individual from New York, I didn't need any more attention. I wanted to go straight to relaxation. <laughs> and they said, you can't do that. I said, well, I just did. And it's more effective then, you know, a 20-minute sonata or a two-hour symphony, I could get you there in a minute. Mm -hmm. And certain people in the music therapy field love that, and to many others, it was a threat to their entire uh, professional life that was built on music that had to have a certain kind of structure and a certain kind of sound. And um, as I say, when, when I wrote a letter to uh, the editor at the time, I said, well, why don't you cover some of the breakthrough research and the new music that's coming out that is even more beneficial for health and relaxation than any Mozart. And they said, thank you very much, Mr. Halpern. We like Mozart. That's why we're going to write about him. We don't like you, pretty much, is what they said. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much, and, you know, go away. Uh, so there was the built-in bias that people have based on what they've been told and also what most people don't know is the huge PR machine that classical music has had over the last hundred years that then instills upon people, it's basically like propaganda, that classical music is the best for, fill in the blanks, the best music for going to sleep, the best music for studying, the best music. And I talk on many of these uh, specific uh, memes and this, these specific uses, and I blow that music out of the water. But I am not, I've never been you know, sufficiently capitalized. I wasn't backed by a big record company, although some of them would take my concepts and apply it to their own albums, even though their own albums were anything but relaxation. So I know they've been paying attention. 
to what I've been doing. And, and the reality is that uh, now with streaming, the streaming revolution has um, made a huge inroad into the availability of healing music for people all around the world. But now when you don't have to necessarily buy the music, for a while it was really bad for us musicians uh, because no one was buying CDs and you know that was the end of life as we knew it. But uh, certainly what I'm experiencing now is albums like Chakra Suite and particularly track one of Chakra Suite is the one that get, gets the most streams and the most airplay uh, and some of the other albums. Millions of people around the country are tuning into the same piece of music at the same time because it's being broadcast on a Pandora station or a Spotify playlist. Mm -hmm. and, and what happens then, and, and this ties in with the work of Rupert Sheldrake and Morphogenic Fields, when you have millions of people getting their own brains balanced at the same time by the same musical stimulus, that sets up a standing wave in the bioenergy fields of the earth that makes it easier for other people to tune into that brain balancing uh, energy field. And there's, it, it's like Spotify without even knowing it, or Pandora without knowing it, has become a force for spiritual good and healing uh, when they play certain kinds of music. Now, it doesn't happen with every song that they play, but I know it's been happening because I've, I've experienced it even in a chiropractic office when uh, a piece of, uh, like Chakra Street, track one, comes on unexpectedly. I see everyone in the office, in the waiting room, and et cetera, shift, you could, and, and you could feel the energy shift. And it's like there's, there's uh, literally a wave of energy that is coming over the, that area of the planet and uh, I've been starting to talk about that recently because I remembered that some of the very earliest uh, psychic readers and uh, mediums and uh, what I got in that first meditation is this was the, the manifestation of that prediction and that statement is people all around the world are going to be healed by this music. And, you know... And how it's happening is through streaming services and the streaming platforms when people are listening to kind of new age genre or some of the healing music. And uh, the, the ones I could talk about most specifically are my own. Uh, there's plenty of room for other people to do research. But because so many scientists, spiritual teachers, and healers have all recognized and have told me that in all their research, the number one album that produces the most uh, beneficial healing and balancing of energy fields, whether it's from UCLA and Dr. Valerie Hunt or Dr. Herbert Benson or uh, master healers and teachers like Star Fuentes mm -hmm. and Danny Brinkley, it's Chakra Suite. Mm. So the very first album I put out, which I thought might be in 1975, well, I'll do one album, I'll go back to playing in bands, and I'll you know, continue teaching and, and doing other things. It was a life changer, mm -hmm. and it's taken this long <clears throat> to get to the point mm -hmm. where it's really doing the healing work that it was meant to do. Because right. it's more and more out in the field. Literally. Lynn McTaggart wrote the book called The Field, and she yes. was reporting on what many of the other scientists have been talking about for many years. Well, I've worked with many of the scientists. Uh, I've been on programs with many of those scientists, uh, people like Dr. William Tiller and uh, Russell Targ mm -hmm. uh, have been fans of my music since I first met them in 1975. So when you have the leading, you know, uh, brilliant minds of our day, uh, say this is for real mm -hmm. continue doing what you're doing uh that that was you know th these are some of my early supporters and I, I i knew at that point that this wasn't just a figment of my own imagination it wasn't just a matter of ego uh this was something and i had to learn how to get it out to the world to learn how to you know do interviews and to write articles and to 
uh, give speeches in front of 2,000 people, et cetera, et cetera, uh, none of which I had studied in college. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. all, uh, it was a new career. But this was the job that was required to not just receive the music as an artist, but then it was full service. You need to, because you know more about the music than anyone else. Literally, I am the world's leading authority of the music of Stephen Halpern, <laughs> that my job is to get it communicated out into the world in a way that it resonates and can be uh, accepted and understood by by others. I, I listened, uh, Natalie, to some of my early interviews, and even I can't understand what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I've learned, you know, to use not the same kind of scientific jargon that I was coming from from that world, because even like brainwaves, uh, you know, I, I assume that people know that we have uh, the brainwaves of relaxation in terms of the alpha brainwave and the deeper relaxation and healing frequencies of theta brainwaves that are down between four and seven cycles per second, mm-hmm. and the sleep frequencies in delta that are one to three cycles. But you ask most of the people out there in the world, are, are you in normal big, uh, normal uh, waking consciousness, uh, and are you in the beta brainwave range? They look at you like you're from Mars, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, because although we have Fitbit now that we could measure our pulse and our heart rate, et cetera, there's still, I don't know if there's uh, many uh, accessible bits of technology that can measure your brain waves at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you know, I don't know if Apple, I haven't seen Apple or the Apple Watch or right. some of the other you know things offer that yet, and that would be something that somebody should really work on because, mm-hmm. uh, Yes, it's good to know about your heart rate and your pulse, but it'd be really good to know that if if you need to relax, that you are effectively in a deep alpha state. And that's why the album that I put out called Deep Alpha adds brainwave entrainment technologies. So there is no question. Uh, it's like training wheels for the brain. Your brain is guided gently into uh, resonating and being entrained into the frequency of eight cycles per second that naturally puts you in resonance and in sync with the dominant harmonic frequencies of the planet itself. And uh, I would talk about that in my workshops. People may never even read that on the liner notes of the album, Deep Alpha, but they get the experience because within seconds, their brainwaves shift and they feel an effect. Even if they don't have words to describe it, they know something's different, and typically they like it, and and that's what keeps keeps the whole energy flowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I'd love to circle back. You're you're really talking about what you almost imprint into your music to to help people. Now, you've mentioned before these stressors in most music, the tension yes. and the release. I just wondered if you'd talk about that a little bit more i've i've heard you talk about i think you call it scalus interruptus i'm just right. curious and, uh, if and i will spell that. that right that's what I, I i i call that from the uh uh ancient roman tradition hmm. uh scalus s-c-a-l-u-s interruptus and here's the demonstration of what that words mean I'm going to sing a little phrase that you all recognize, uh, and certainly you will recognize it, Mm -hmm. and I want you to watch what happens in your brain, and I want you to observe what happens in the middle of your chest uh, and to your breathing. So here we go. If if you're driving, don't close your eyes, but other than that, take 10 seconds out, close your eyes, and just feel what you feel when I do the... Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti. And how many of you are holding your breath right now? How many of you heard that final, no, that final note in your head and were just waiting for me, getting stressed out, waiting for me to sing that final note to resolve the scale? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the hidden stresses. Because most of the music we listen to is based on Western European tradition of a seven-note scale, unlike 
China and Japan, which had a five-note scale, which doesn't have this implied directionality. Uh, all the music that we've heard, we've been culturally conditioned to respond to these melodic patterns. And yes, melody is great for emotional things and for many things, but for relaxation, if you can predict where the music is going, you're in the future. And Natalie, as you probably know, relaxation only happens in the present moment. Mm -hmm. You can't be relaxed in the future. Mm -hmm. And this was a great breakthrough, which I didn't even realize for years. I would typically bring this up in my workshops, maybe halfway through the workshop and demonstrate this. And at some point, I just started saying, you know, uh, I'm going to do this at the beginning, and I would start my lectures, start my keynote presentations with I had the audience in the palm of my hand within seconds rather than, you know, waiting for 15 minutes. And I said, boy, I wish I had thought of that, you know, 20 years earlier, 10 years earlier. Mm -hmm. But all in due time, and, and now, now it's the time. And because no one has ever been uh, educated or made aware of this, it's a hidden stressor. There, in, as I mentioned before, in, in classical music, the compositional theory of tension release, tension resolution is is primary in the chord patterns and how you set up the audience. And that's a great art. And I'm not saying there's anything the ma wrong with that mm -hmm. by, by no means. The classical masters were classical masters. But when it comes to relaxation, how I figured that out was just paying and you know, noticing that I'm holding my breath when I'm listening to a lot of music and I'm getting more stressed for music that they sold me as being, this is classical music for relaxation. And because there's no uh, truth in advertising police, record companies or other new, even new age artists are able to say, this is music for relaxation, and no one busts them on it, other than people like me who will play examples of some of these, <laughs> the uh, music that is decidedly unrelaxing. And, he, and while we're on classical music, let me say one other thing. If you were looking at uh, Mozart's music, Mozart wrote hundreds of compositions. Which piece? The mm -hmm. research that went around the world called the Mozart effect was done on one particular piece of music by Mozart, the Sonata in A uh, major. People would listen to Marriage of Figaro. They'd listen to Requiem and not get the beneficial mm -hmm. Mozart effect. They didn't get smarter. They would get depressed. They would listen to other music and wonder why it didn't work for them. And the reason was, it's not only that they were using the wrong piece of music, but if you listen to five different versions of that same Mozart sonata, or even better, uh, the uh, famous classical bestseller, Pachelbel's Canon in D major, a wonderful piece of music. When I first heard it, it was at a workshop by Gene Houston, and uh, our, we would sit across from our partner, and we'd gaze into each other's eyes, and we'd have these cosmic experiences, and our heart feel would open. So I went out to the store the next day, and there were you know five different versions of Pachelbel's Canon. Well, which one do you buy? I bought the one that had the prettiest cover, like many people would. It had a nice rose on the cover. And I took it home, and it was like, Da, 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 da. It was it should have been labeled Pachelbel's highly caffeinated <laughs> canon in D major. Mm -hmm. So I called Gene Houston and said, "Gene, were we all in altered states in your workshop? I I got you know I I bought the album, but it doesn't work at all like it did in your workshop." And she said, "Which version did you buy?" Mm -hmm. I said, "Well, I bought the one with the pretty pig." No, man, you have to buy the RCA Red Seal version. That's the only one that works. So what does that mean? That anybody who's telling you, uh, which is basically every other article and book that's out there in the world, listen to Mozart, listen to Pachelbel's Canon, if they don't tell you which performance, which performer, and which version, they're just, you know, trying to sell their books. Not, they're not giving you any information. It's like saying on, on a diet, eat food. Well, are we talking about McDonald's? Are we talking about, you know, some healthy vegan music, uh, uh, meal or, or, or what? Uh, so you need to be specific. And um, 
there's very little information out about that in the world. One of the only other people who was talking about that was Dr. John Diamond. And uh, for many years, he and I were the two primary people talking about that and the negative effects of uh, certain kinds of rock music. Uh, he was a psychiatrist, so he had a much stronger credential than I did as a Ph.D. Uh, musician. And I would often uh, defer to him. And you know, don't don't you know blame me. He's got the MD. You want to go argue with somebody, you know? But but I'll give you some biofeedback tests, and I will prove to you. And, and that's how we you know went went out in the world. And uh, he, 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 Dr. Diamond wrote a great book called Your Body Doesn't Lie. I mentioned before Dr. Benson's book on uh, uh, the relaxation response, and of course Itzhak Bentoff, stalking the wild pendulum, a personal mentor. And um, today, people are still catching up with him. He basically put the concept of entrainment out into the world. And mm -hmm. brainwave entrainment is one subcategory of that. And it's one of the reasons why healing music works as well as it does, because our nervous system is set up automatically to respond to these incoming frequencies. And if you play something that's in harmony with the way that the body wants to be stimulated by sound frequencies, by color, by by certain rhythms, etc., then you are playing the tune in the symphony of life. You're playing what uh, the body uh, wants to hear. And it's like vitamins of the airway. The body can use that energy in the form of musical tones to organize its own energy fields. And uh, music like my own, for instance, because it doesn't have a strong beat, doesn't typically have strong melody, allows your body to choose what it needs to be most uh, uh, healthy, to come into a higher state of coherence and balance. And it's not an external authority, me or anybody else, saying this is what everybody needs. Your, each individual listener can draw from this kind of music, the, uh, the support to uh, enable the body to heal itself, to activate its own uh, innate intelligence. And that is also the theme of what Deepak Chopra and um, uh, Bruce Lipton are talking about with mm -hmm. the biology of belief, where music like this puts your cells and the DNA in a state where they can be uh, able to express for higher levels of wellness, because that's what they do when they're in their state of balance. And that, if I had to say one other thing, is the underlying principle of, of our music, is helping people come into balance. And when you come into balance, as happens when you balance the chakras or with many of the other albums that I've done, your body naturally begins to function at a higher level of efficiency and that's why you can experience higher levels of well-being and uh, health and optimism, and it goes on from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really, I think that the, to sum up sound health, it's not necessarily just music, you know, it can be um, the noise around us, our own environment, that we, we can make choices. Absolutely. We can make choices Absolutely. about peace and harmony in our lives. Through, through sound. Exactly, and I, I wrote a lot about that in, in my book, uh, Sound Health, because the downside of being highly sensitive to music mm. is being highly sensitive to sound. And that started for me as a kid, complaining in my family kitchen that the rumble of the refrigerator was hurting my stomach. And I got yelled at by my father, like other people might have you know, gotten yelled at by their parents, oh, don't be ridiculous, sound is invisible. It doesn't affect me. How could it affect you? So shut up and eat your peas. You know? And uh, part of my study in college was to find out, does noise, do frequencies like that resonate in the body? Can they knock a body out of town? Can they create stress? And in my case, also create a lot of indigestion and gas. Mm -hmm. uh, and the answer was yes, yes, and yes. So I, I learned to buy quieter refrigerators. <laughs> I, I learned to move further away from them. And uh, everything else, but noise is a great fact, a uh, great stress factor, which is now uh, becoming much more recognized. A lot of cities have outlawed those noisy, gas-powered leaf blowers. Mm -hmm. There are construction limits now going on. I've, I've, I was an expert witness in the uh, 
uh, county where I live, uh, north of San Francisco, at many of the towns, when uh, uh, they were starting writing their ordinances to outlaw or limit leaf blowers, I helped write some of those ordinances. And uh, the fight goes on, but people are starting to open up to understand that even though no one ever told them that noise can be bad for them, we we now know that it's not just bad or it's not just an annoyance. It is something that is stressful, that affects your blood pressure, your heart rate, your well-being, your sanity. Mm-hmm. These are pretty big things. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of people on the other side of the aisle who uh, have vested uh, economic interests to making noisier things. But just recently, I even read in good housekeeping magazine while I was at the uh, place that, uh, where I get my hair cut, uh, that uh, they now, just like I had in my my early books, where I had the helper noise rating, where I'd write, uh, I would rate certain uh, kinds of machines as to which brands were quieter. And I remember being thrown out of certain appliance stores when I went and said, I want to buy a quiet refrigerator. And they looked at me like, oh, oh, please leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and now you have noise ratings. Mm-hmm. There are noise ratings for restaurants. Never used to be. Uh, these are all in my early books, and people used to make fun of that. So I was just 30 years ahead of my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's just, well, perhaps it's because of the field that we're involved in, but there's just so much more awareness of, of sound and its exactly. effects anymore. And, and stress in general, I would think, obviously. Is, exactly. You know, we're such a scattered multitasking uh, world anymore. But why do you think, you know, since the power of sound and its healing qualities is ancient, is that, do you think that's why, or why do you think sound healing field is such a buzzword and blossoming so much right now? Uh, why is it blossoming now? That is a very good question. Several reasons. Number one, as the technology in the field uh, becomes more widespread and there are more practitioners, so a lot of people take a weekend workshop and call themselves sound healers. Their instruments are tuning forks, which you can learn to play in a minute, uh, mm-hmm. uh, crystal bowls, which you can learn to play in two minutes, uh, Tibetan bowls, Japanese singing bowls. You could learn to play these. It's not like learning to play a violin mm-hmm. or, or a piano where it takes years of study. But with these same things, some of the same aspects with the tuning forks, etc., it's the tone. It's a tone that does not require your, your left brain to analyze where that note is going in the future. It's one note that stays there. And when one note uh, resonates in the body, comes in you know, through our ears, into the basilar membrane, up into the brain, your, your brain waves shift because we're not used to hearing just one pure tone. And uh, people hear it, they go, oh, this sounds good. Now, as a musician, I, I help popularize all of these, and I've used them in, in many of my recordings. But after a few minutes, I get bored listening to a tuning fork. I get, you know, <laughs> I want something more. Uh, and that's where the combination is all useful. But more and more people have any experiences. There's more practitioners. There's articles. And some of that is because some of the crystal bowls are really high-end. You could buy a, uh, a set for $10,000. There are uh, companies like Crystal Tones that are making gem-infused mm-hmm. and gold-infused crystal bowls. Right. So you have Hollywood celebrities buying $50,000 sets of bowls. Hmm. Uh, I won't mention some of the names that I've been told. But when celebrities start picking up on this, then the word starts getting out. And people say, well, if if they're using it and, and it helps them to stay centered, maybe I should you know try a, a, a cheaper version. Mm-hmm. But they could find them online. They could find them in some of the better New Age stores. And people can use it for themselves. And anything that you could do for yourself, I start most of my meditations with about one minute of my big Japanese bowl and a little bit of my uh, crystal bowl. And that just really helps center. And it's so simple. My breathing rate slows down. Now I know that my brain waves shift into an alpha state. Uh, many people may not know that, but if they 
hit if they have a bowl at home, they'll get into a state in one minute or less, mm-hmm. and that's that's why it's becoming so popular. And then more and more people are writing little articles about this, and because that's how people get turned on to this, um, the field is opening. Why it was so important and so ancient was because when people didn't have radio and Spotify and everything else to listen to all day long, sound took on a mystical dimension, and they could feel the effects in their body. They didn't necessarily know about bioenergy fields, but uh, other than the shamans and the healers, but they, the individuals in the tribes knew that they were getting into a different state of being, and now we know that we call that a different state of consciousness, that this was important, and in that state, good things happen. So to go back to ancient Greece, China, uh, Egypt, we see the uh, healing powers of music were revered in all the ancient traditions. Mm-hmm. And then uh, economic forces and uh, certain uh, religious organizations kind of took over the field, and then you had the court music, and then you had folk music. None of that was about healing until, you know, uh, we get into the 1960s. Consciousness is being raised, and people like myself are getting turned on to the fact that there were people thousands of years ago who were using sound to get high so that you don't have to use drugs. Mm -hmm. And uh, for many reasons, that was something that was very appealing to me. And, uh, and that's why that became my focus of interest, uh, probably starting in 1967. Mm. And so many years later, I'm curious, what are you still excited about? Is uh, is it research at the time or new music? What's really what are you pursuing right now? I'm, I'm working on several levels. Uh, two years ago, I was at a global pyramid conference. I met uh, Dr. Sam, uh, kind of the Indiana Jones of the pyramid world, and uh, he's been recording some sounds on top of pyramids in Bosnia, Mm. and he and his associates, and so we're looking at some of the healing powers uh, that the sounds may have on their own, uh, separated uh, from actually being there in the uh, pyramids in Bosnia. I'm working on music uh, for... Uh, and additional music to get people into deep theta meditation states and healing states. And that work, and then uh, the new album that I have with uh, an amazing vocalist named Kristen Hoffman includes uh, a number of deeply meditative tracks, and one track that is just so heart-opening with her vocals and the kind of the uh, semi-blues progression that that I uh, pre-produced for, for that song, Echoes of a Dream, uh, we're, we're looking to start some research to see what is happening with that album. We know it opens the heart uh, in terms of the heart chakra. It's great for lovers. It's great for tantra. Uh, but that's not scientifically validated yet. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at uh, testing that with some other forms of equipment. And all these things, like the music comes first and then the research. I don't start out with the research and mm-hmm. try to do music to base on that. But I will tell you that starting in about 2008, I began to wonder, well, what can we really feel the difference between meditating at uh, in an alpha state at 8 cycles per second or 9 cycles per second or 10, or the so-called hertz, H-E-R-T-Z, or can we feel the difference between meditating in a deep theta state of 4 or 5 or 6 or 7 hertz? And uh, that got me onto doing my own research because I have my own music that I own the rights to. And um, that opened up some really amazing places in my own uh, level of inspiration and took me deeper. And that's, that gave birth to a whole new series. But it started from a question because if you go on the Internet, you can you know, you, you, there's a lot of opinions masquerading as facts. But no one is really, you know, that I could find, this is what it feels like at eight cycles a second. This is what it feels like if it, because they will just give you the brainwave uh, beats, but unless you tie it in, for me what's true, unless you tie it in in an artistic uh, manner that is listenable but also doesn't occupy your main uh, 
analytical responses, you can feel the difference. And the other thing I would just mention is that was phase one of the research. Then when I found certain frequencies, I started listening to the frequencies on headphones when I started composing and recording, improvising in the studio. And that was where the, I had another breakthrough experience where music started playing inside my head. Ordinarily, I don't hear music before I play it. When I got down to the deep theta state, I could hear the music in my head, and then I could just play what I heard. Mm. And that's how the album Deep Theta just manifested. Mm. It was one of the easiest albums I've ever done. It was, again, going back to the early part of our conversation, it was like playing on automatic. I was in the zone, and um, it was a wonderful day. I was almost levitating off the uh, keyboard, the chair. Mm. That's beautiful. What I'm hearing is, you know, once you found something you're so passionate about, passionate about that's self-healing and, and has helped so many people that it's just limitless, whether it's the music, the research, there's just this fascination and there's so many different directions that you can go uh, with this work. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything we didn't get to that you want to mention? I think we covered just about everything. Um, now, because uh, I have some material on my website, I have uh, some written material on my website if people have more questions. I personally don't do very much with um, uh, Facebook on my uh, Stephen Halpern mm -hmm. fan page. That's, mm -hmm. that's the one official page I have. Uh, but I'm, I've been posting more and more things on my YouTube channel that's uh, – Stephen Halpern Music Channel, and I'll be posting some more things with an updated uh, Scalus Interruptus uh, demo. I'll be uh, posting some samples that I don't think anyone else has quite like this of music at 440 cycles a second, and mu the same music at 400 tuned to 432 cycles per second. That's another big area of uh, interest now in the sound healing and other fields. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a long discussion, but there's very little hard research available on that. But one of the other things we come back to is you listen to the music, how does it make you feel? You can be your own test uh, validation person. You don't have to uh, take someone else's word for it. Mm -hmm. So what I would recommend for people is listen to a wide variety of music, See how it makes you feel. When you're looking at it like that, as opposed to, oh, I like that violin, I like that voice, I like that. Okay, just become very aware of your own state of being, your state of consciousness, and, and you'll find some things that really, really uh, make a difference, and including sleep. You know, there's 70 million people in America who are sleep-deprived uh, and have a level of sleep deficiency, and since I'm one of them, one of the new albums that I'll be putting out as part of my sleep series is uh, using music and uh, brainwave entrainment tones to really help you fall asleep quickly and wake up refreshed. So that's an area of research. But to do real good research requires thousands of dollars. And most of the people, uh, I don't have that money to do all that. The last study I did for $10,000, I got uh, a pilot study of 10 people before, during, and after, and then $10,000 was done. It was great research, mm -hmm. very, very, you know, uh, carefully done, but 10 people is not enough to, you know, <laughs> make mm -hmm. a bold statement, right. but it was suggestive mm -hmm. that something very, very positive is happening, and uh, the rest of the research, I think, goes on in everyone's own life. Now that you know that what you listen to makes a difference on how you feel during the day, how you fall asleep at night, and how your body can heal itself when you give it the raw material in the form of vitamins of the airwaves, mm. healing music. Mm. That's great advice, though. It's so experiential, just doing your own research and create your own musical toolbox for you know shifting your awareness for whatever your, your health needs are. That's great advice. And the great thing about it is, you know, particularly now with <laughs> the streaming services, but I don't like to wait. I, I 
I personally work with, with CDs because it, it's, it, I'm, I'm an instant gratification kind of guy, mm-hmm. and I like to be in charge of my own programming, uh, even because I don't because I don't walk around with a smartphone in my hand, and that's another whole field we, we get, you know don't have time to get into. Uh, I like to be able to hit play on my CD player and um, and just go into the realm of sound. And however you do it, folks, take the time to honor yourself, give yourself the blessing of surrounding yourself and supporting yourself with healing music. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to really share some of this information about the larger context of your music and and your own experience and for following your your path and your your passion so so wonderfully so thanks for all that you do well thank you so much now it's been a pleasure speaking with you thank you for tuning into this episode of sounds heal podcast sponsored by the ohm shop and spa and keep up to date with what's coming up next at soundshealstudio.com. Check things out on Facebook at Sounds Heal Studio. And you can listen to all previous podcasts as well as music meditations on the YouTube channel at Sounds Heal Studio. Be well and stay tuned. <laughs>